from him who rejoices over those who repent and return, and from him who receives sinners and eats with them, come all grace, mercy, and peace to each of you today. Seen those, uh, that new Geico commercial recently. I mean, I'm not talking about the ones with the, the gecko lizard. I'm talking about the newest one. It's a commercial about acronyms. I don't know if you've seen that. They've got a, a variety of scenes in there where they're all talking in text speak, LOL, you know, YOLO, things of that nature. Um, there's a couple of scenes where they're even singing to their coworkers in acronyms, uh, singing happy birthday to their coworkers. Uh, there's a couple of them in there where they're, they're working on, uh, they're working across from one another in a workspace. And the, the tagline at the end of the commercial goes, we don't need more acronyms, but we could all use a little bit more ways to save our car insurance. <laughs> it's kind of interesting when you think about how we as a society have shortened things. We've truncated them down to shorthand. For those of you who remember what shorthand and longhand were, um, but that's, that's kind of what we, we end up doing now. We do it for a variety of reasons. One, uh, like we know what these acronyms stand for. <laughs> Two, as if we assume that, there is, that we know all there is to know about something. And three, as if we assume others know what we're talking about. You know, uh, when I was at uh, the university doing uh, live uh, ministries, um, it was interesting when the, the kids would talk in uh, acronyms. And I always had to ask them, what does that mean? <laughs> They, they, they just kind of assumed that I knew what they were talking about in shorthand. Um, now, I'm not saying uh, that this is commonplace all throughout the world, um, but sometimes I think that we treat Scripture that way. Let me think about that for a moment. As if we treat Scripture as if it's shorthand. I'm not saying that we, we speak biblically all the time in acronyms, but there was a time when we used to wear the rubber bands that said WWJD on them. What would Jesus do? To which I would say GQ. Good question, not Gentleman's Quarterly. This is how we tend to think about things in, in, in the Bible. And, and think about that as it relates to this parable of the prodigal son. Think about that. What do you know about this parable? I'm going to tell you that we tend to summarize this parable as a kid who went off with all of his inheritance, squandered it all away, and then came back home again, and a father received him because he came to his senses. Is that about accurate? About what we know about it? Of course. But I believe that if we look at this parable in shorthand, so to speak, that we miss so much more about the parable about, uh, of itself. Because... This parable isn't so much about a prodigal son as it is about a prodigal father. And we're going to look what that term prodigal means here this morning. To understand what it means to live in view of God's mercy, we need to look at this, this parable in longhand. Now, prodigal can take on a couple of different meanings. On the one hand, it can mean to, to squander, to be wasteful with things. But on the other hand, it can mean to to be extravagant and, and to expend, right? To lavish. So think about that. Most people tend to know this par parable of the prodigal son as the parable of a son who was wasteful with his inheritance. But one, this prodigal son is not the only prodigal in the parable. And two, he's not the only sinner either. But again, in a world that is full of acronyms speak and social justice and equality issues, is it really any surprise, you know, should we be surprised that this parable is summed up the way it is as a redemption of a wayward young man? 
So let's assume for a moment that we know that they're all, all there is to know about this parable. Let's assume that we know this parable to be about a son who asks for an inheritance. He leaves all that he knows with all that he has. He soon squanders it. Then he finds himself in a dark, deep, you know, deep, dark place where he's hungry, doesn't know where to turn. So he comes up with something that he says he's going to go home and tell his father that he had sinned against him. And his father welcomes him and everybody celebrates and it's all happy. Rainbows and unicorns at the end, right? Where is it? What does this actually mean for us? Do we actually know the depth of the sin that takes place in here? What about when you ask your relative for your inheritance early? Who does that? You know what that's the equivalent of saying? I wish you were dead. Nobody asks your live relative for their inheritance. You don't get an inheritance until somebody passes away. Second, not only does this son go against the social norm and sin by dishonoring his father, but his older brother, by way of staying silent and not standing up for his father in that moment, is sinful as well. Because he would have been expected to honor his father by putting his younger brother in his place and tell him it's not rightful to ask his father for an inheritance while he's still alive. And in those times, it would have been the duty of the father to admonish his son for asking for it. And yet the father, shockingly, does just the opposite. He shows kindness to his son. He divides his property up. He gives his son what he asks for. And then the father stays home and his son takes all that he has and breaks all familiar ties. Goes far away as if saying, I'm washing my hands of this family. I'm done with you. And then what do we know? We know that he goes away, squanders it all, famine hits, and this once well-fed young man is now at the other end of the spectrum, starving. Hires himself out as a, an indentured servant, so to speak. Feeds pigs. Not only does he feed the pigs, he's so hungry he desires to eat the slop that the pigs are eating, the pods. You know how shameful and dishonorable that is to the family name? He's coming from a man, from a, a family that has land and has wealth, and he's on this end of the spectrum. In that day and age, the shame-honor culture was very much alive. It still much is today in Palestine as it was back then. This man had honor through his father and then squandered it all the way. Talk about shame, dishonor. This would certainly bring shame to his father and the family name. And Luke tells us, though, that this younger son all of a sudden came to himself. Now, based on the language that follows, we assume that he realizes that he's been wrong in all that he does and that he needs to repent, that he's sinned against his father and that he's going to go back home and, and face the music. He said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Why? Because he understood that the father took care of his servants. Even his father's servants were well fed. This is no small thing. This isn't a detail that we should dismiss for a couple of different reasons. One, this young son is in a dark moment in his life. 
And we can speculate whether he fabricated what he was going to say to his father or whether he really did come to his senses and really feel repentance upon his heart for what he had done. But in that day and age, well, even to some degree by today's standards, to return home as a failure is not an easy thing to do. Failure meant shame, and shame and failure weren't exactly welcome by society. And yet, he accepts the consequences of his actions and he returns. And while he's still a long way off, his father sees him and has compassion on him and embraces him. It says he ran and embraced him. Seniors in that day weren't known to run after somebody, especially after a failure. They're classified as too dignified to do so. And yet, he sees his son coming. He turns heel. He runs after him, goes against social norm, shows him kindness yet again. Wow. Who's the prodigal in this story? Yeah, the son was prodigal or is prodigal because he wastes all that he has. But what about the father's love? Talk about lavishing it on somebody who deserves nothing other than scorn and shame. And he runs and he embraces them. In a culture that doesn't celebrate failure, the father would have been described as prodigal himself. Shame on him, society would have said. But when you're excited because someone's lost and now is found, when you thought somebody was dead and they turned up alive, what do you do? You celebrate. You celebrate. I said earlier that I thought we tended to treat this parable in shorthand form. If you read the first part of the parable, Jesus says what? There was a man who had two sons. Does Jesus ever mention something just for the sake of putting filler into something? No. And yet, I thought it was ironic because when you, when, well, when you're looking at the bulletins that I had, it was holding today, right? It cuts the parable off on one page right at that sentence, and they celebrated you had to flip the, parable, the page to see the second half of that parable. Now we find out about the other son. Remember I said that this younger son wasn't the only one who sinned in this story? This younger son finds out, he's out working in the fields. He comes home and he hears the music and sees all the ruckus going on and he inquires, hey, what's going on here? And the servant said, well, the father has slaughtered a calf because your brother came home. And this older son is indignant. He's incensed. You don't do that. You don't honor failure. To some degree, he may as well have been far off, just like his younger brother was, because he wouldn't go in and celebrate. He wouldn't celebrate the found. The repent. Now, as far as he was concerned, his father was eaten with sinners. And then his father, shockingly, comes out of the party and asks his older son to come join him. And what does his son do? I'll paraphrase this part, right? Because that's what we do with these parables. The younger son basically says, I've been with you all along. You never have you given me a, even a goat to go celebrate with my friends. 
It's like he's saying, I, I've been working for you. I've slaved myself for you. And now I'm, I'm done with this family too. I'm not going inside. And the father says, son, you've, you've always been with me and all that I have is yours. He would have been expected to admonish his older son as well. And yet he lavishes him with kindness. Wow. Now, we don't know if he was ever successful in getting his older son to come into the party to celebrate. We're not sure. Jesus kind of leaves this parable, I don't know, open-ended. The parable itself, when you look at it, now that you know that the older son was just as sinful as the younger son, right? That the father, his love is prodigal. Where do you fit into this story? I wonder myself where I fit in. Most oftentimes, I think my, I, I, I've seen myself as the prodigal son. Sometimes I see myself as the older son. I've never seen myself as the father who lavishes love and praise upon his children, those who have fled or dishonored. I'm not sure where we fit into this story, except that we probably fit into both categories of the older and the younger son at times. Why did Jesus tell this parable? Who was his audience when he told it? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were indignant that Jesus was receiving sinners and eating with them. Sinners and tax collectors. You don't do that. They're the scorn of society. And so as I stepped back and I looked at this parable in in long form and and started trying to insert myself, I I looked at it in view of God's mercy. I've been the prodigal who has fled and squandered everything. And I've been on the other side of it too, where at times I just slam my fist down and go, God, why are you receiving them? And you know what? When we do things like that, it's kind of like we're shunning God's mercy. We've forgotten how he's shown mercy in our own lives. Are we willing to welcome sinners to the table to eat? Are we willing to welcome sinners to the pews to hear God's word? Are we going to join or refuse to join the celebration? As we first and foremost must realize that we are sinners who as God has extended his grace to. God's love covers all our sins, welcomes us to the table of mercy and grace. Rejoices when we repent, are remorseful, and recognize that we starve apart from him. This Lenten season, we need to look at this parable in view of God's mercy. This parable that that shows that a father's love is extravagant. That a father's love covered the sins of both of his sons. Overcame shame. Accepted failure and received them back into the fold. We live in God's prodigal love, a love that celebrates all who come home. That's what this Lenten season is about, reflecting, repenting, coming back, joining the table where Jesus says, come, I eat with sinners and tax collectors. And not only that, but God expects us to show the prodigal love that he has given to each and every one of us. So who do you know in your life today that needs that? Maybe you're the prodigal son. Maybe you're the older son. 
no matter who you are or what you're facing today, when you turn back to God, God heaps love and mercy and grace upon each and every one of us. That's mercy. And to God be all the glory. Amen.